Hi, and welcome to The Badass Moms, where we moms learn to achieve fitness and health goals despite being sleep deprived and overworked. Here's your host, Nicole, the super busy mommy coach. Hello, and welcome to Badass Moms, brought to you by the Holistic Therapies Directory. I'm Nicole Cruz, super busy mommy coach. Today, we are joined by Christopher Roche. Um, and before I introduce him, I just want to let you know that I am taking applications for one-on-one coaching. If you're interested, the best way to apply is just to message me on Facebook or Instagram at Super Busy Mommy Coach. You can go to my website and fill out the form, but I'm going to end up texting you anyway. So that's the most direct way to apply. Um, I don't take any more than three at a time. So um, if you're interested, jump on this opportunity. So now I am really excited to bring you Christopher Roche, who is known as the no excuses coach. He helps people overcome their self-created crap without the self-help fluffy bullshit, which is one of the reasons Chris resonated with me so much and why I had to reach out. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you, Nicole. It's an honor to be here. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's an honor to have you. It really is. Um, I love how down to earth you are. I love that it's no fluff. There's a place for the fluff and the inspiration and the mystical talk. And that really resonates with a lot of people. But personally, the way you do things resonates with me personally. And so um, I just, I had to connect with you and then it just kind of snowballed. We like did a conversation on Clubhouse and here you are. And <laughs> I mean, I look forward to a lot more. Um, but I want people Definitely. to get a chance to know like what impresses me about you so much. So give us the sense, like your background directly brought you to this point, right? Like, it's not like you went to college to become a life coach or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, like it was a direct line that like prepared you for this work. And so can you give us that backstory? Sure. Sure. How much time you got? <laughs> go. Just go. Um, the backstory. Well, the essential, and, and thank you again for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. And yes, I agree. The, the conversations that we've been having have been tremendous and I look forward to definitely many more of those. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate and respect what you're doing in the world too. So having me on your show is, is definitely cool because um, I know some people kind of shy away from the truth, which, uh, which is, which is okay. It's, it's good for them. You know, just keep, keep hiding from the truth and be miserable and have a lot of regrets later on in life anyway. <laughs> so no, seriously, my, my story, let's see the encapsulated uh, nutshell version of it is that I am a former seventh grade homeless dropout who lived in the backseat of a station wagon with 18 cats and two dogs. Um, I was born to a mother with various psychiatric disorders and chemical dependencies and affinity for men. So I never knew who my biological father was when I was growing up. So I had mom, I had mom and I had my sister who was a half sister, different dad. So you can kind of see the affiliation with the affection for men, uh, different dad. And uh, my upbringing really for the first six years, I would love to go back and see a video of what it is that I went through and see exactly how I was cared for and how I wasn't cared for. Because um, from what I gather between my mom and my sister, my life was pure chaos up until the time I became around six years old. My mom was uh, admitted into a psychiatric facility when I was about four years old and I had to go stay with her boyfriend's parents because we didn't have any other family. So that was an interesting experience. But in the culmination of my life and really trying to determine 
you know, where it is that I am today from where, where it is that I was, um, as a kid, I was isolated. I was, I was alone. I was lonely. Um, I always thought that I was supposed to be seen and not heard based on the fact of what my mom would tell me. I thought my first name was stupid. I thought my second name was shut up. Um, and that all changed back when we moved from, uh, from Los Angeles into Anaheim. And this is, this is when I was six years old. This is when things started to change and shift because my mom found a steady boyfriend and they ultimately got married. And the six year, six year old little kid finally just started thinking like, I'm going to have a family. I'm going to have a mom, a dad, a sister, and a, and we're going to, we're going to go live in a, in, a, in a comfortable house, a four bedroom house before we lived in a two bedroom house in Southeast Los Angeles, which was not the best place, uh, by the way. Um, and so I went back and found out, uh, but through that journey, um, it only started from there, the physical abuse, the mental abuse, um, uh, from both seeing it from my mom and her boyfriend or who became her husband, but also the physical abuse that was, uh, given to me from my mother because, of the things that I didn't do and the things that didn't appeal to her in her expectations. So the abuse was physical, mental, was never sexual that I know of. Um, and you know, it was just, it was just craziness for that period of time. And not only was I bullied at home, but I was also bullied on the way to school and at school. So literally up until the age of 13, I literally, I mean, I just, I, I was wondering why I existed. You know, I had a few friends here and there, but I didn't fit in with anybody. Um, every time I tried to fit in, uh, I was a square peg in a rectangle hole. You know, it was just crazy. I remember one time when I was at school, I really wanted to fit in with these kids. And it was recess and they were calling um, positions to play baseball or play softball. And I was standing there and they said, what position do you play? And I said, I play batter because I did not know sports. I did not know anything. I just knew that I liked to hit the ball and everybody started laughing and erupting. And I got picked on a team because the teacher made me get picked on the team. A ball came out to me. I didn't even know how to catch it. It was crazy. Uh, I never asked, I never volunteered to play on sports again, really. And uh, I kept my mouth shut even more than that. So <clears throat> up until that point, just trying to fit in. Then all of a sudden drugs and alcohol and, and hanging out with the wrong people started to come into play. And this was before we became homeless. And so I remember when I was in the seventh grade, I went from being um, bullied to being the bully because I, over the summertime, I shot up, I got really big. I was 13 years old. I started growing facial hair. And all of a sudden, when I went to seventh grade, I was one of the bigger kids in school. So suddenly people were afraid of me and I started to control the situation. Um, and it started turning ugly. I started getting into fights. Um, I started, I got expelled from school. I was skipping class. I was smoking pot. It's because I finally found my, my place where I fit in, right? You know, F mom and F everybody else. I'm going to hang out with these cool kids. Um, and so I tell that part of the story because going back to the first part of being homeless at the age of 13, I'm thankful that it happened because the trajectory that I was on at 13 years old, I'm thankful because God only knows that, you know, given the fact that I went through the homeless situation, I don't know where my life would be today if had, had that not happened. Now, going into the homeless situation. Yes. For four years, I was on the streets. We were in and out of cars. Uh, I tried to commit suicide twice, but fortunately I sucked at it. Um, I, uh, drugs, alcohol, stealing, everything, uh, coming to a culmination, you know, again, not in school, working two to three jobs, just trying to keep everything going, trying to keep food coming in. Sometimes we get motel rooms. Uh, so it was pretty crazy. And uh, wasn't until I came back to the motel one day, I think I was about 17 years old. And uh, again, being friends with everybody in the neighborhood, um, I had this black guy walk up to me and ask me if I wanted to buy a carton of cigarettes. And I said, what do you got? And he says, oh, I got a car carton of Mar Marlboro Reds. And I said, wow, carton of Marlboro Reds. I said, that sucks. I said, I smoke cools. And he got really pissed off. 
because they thought I was making a generalization about his culture, about his heritage, about his ethnicity, uh, because, you know, most black people, I shouldn't say most black people, some black people smoke menthols. And at that point, back in 1986, uh, this particular individual took it to heart that I was making fun of him and put a nine millimeter gun to my forehead. At least I think it was a nine millimeter gun based on the way it was shaped uh, and threatened to blow my head off because he thought I was racist. And I told him, I said, listen, dude, I grew up as the only white kid in a black neighborhood from the age of zero to six years old. I said, all my friends are black, Hispanic, very minimal are white. I said, uh, Asian friends, I said, I don't give a shit about what color your skin is. I said, I care what color the pack of cigarettes is. I don't smoke those. Thank you very much. And that's actually, that's when the, that's when the gun came out, put it against my forehead. And at that point, I'd already tried to commit suicide twice. And at that point, I looked at the guy and I said, if you're going to flipping pull the trigger, I said a different word. If you're going to pull the trigger, pull the trigger. And I sat there and I fully expected to have my brains blown out and to die right there on the scene. Unfortunately, a guy came running out. A friend of mine is like, no, 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 him and his moms are cool. Him and his moms are cool. A dude named Will. I hope Will's doing good today. Um, he saved my life. And so wound up being coming friends with that guy. But at that moment, Nicole, it was like literally everything I had been through my entire life, my entire life, there were good times in there, little periodic episodes, you know, when we had the house and stuff like that, we'd go to Disneyland once a year or something like that. But for the most part, my life up until that 17 year old point was me hiding, escaping, uh, fearing uh, every, every possible situation in the book that would attempt me from, from living my life. And so at that point I decided that either I'm gonna get out of the situation by death, by jail or by my own accord. And at that point, that's when I took responsibility for my life and the journey changed from that point. So I will shut up at that point and let you ask me any questions. That is absolutely heartbreaking. I think someone's trying to say hi. Hello, <laughs> what's up little man? Hello. The co the, your co-host. Yep, this is my business partner, Eric. Um, a lot of a lot of people know, a lot of people listening already know him because he usually makes an appearance in every single episode. <laughs> awesome. Hi, Eric. Good to see you again, buddy. Pops in. Um, that, I mean, your story is, is heartbreaking. You know, me with a six-year-old listening to what your life was like when you were six just absolutely breaks my heart. And meanwhile, you've taken it, you've accepted it and use the opportunities from it to maximize your life and create a life that you love, but a, like a kick-ass empire that serves people. You know, it's, it's incredible. Um, Thank you. You're welcome. And I'm, I'm wondering in that moment, what exactly switched for you? Like what was going on in your head? You thought you were gonna die and then you realized you weren't going to die. And that was a transformational moment. Do you remember specifically what that mindset shift was like? I'm supposed to live. Hmm. That was it. I was supposed to live and I'm supposed to live my life. That was really the essential component of it. Because up until that point, I had done everything for my mom. You know, I had opportunity when we became homeless, I could have went and lived with my grandfather. I could have went and lived with some other people, went to school, had a quote unquote normal life, but I was there for my mom. And it was at that point I started realizing, well, actually I really did realize I'm like, she's not going to change. She's not going to change. She has still has a psychiatric situation. She was actually working for a drug. This is funny. She was working for a drug dealer at this motel, which is now a freeway over it because that, that place was so horrible. They demolished it and put a freeway over it. Um, she was working for a drug dealer, uh, but also informing the cops of what the drug dealer was doing. 
And she thought she was being this cool agent and she thought she was cleaning up the streets. Meanwhile, I was working at Carl's Jr. at the age of 14, uh, told him I was 16. I didn't have a work permit. So I told him I was 16 years old, worked two other telemarketing jobs. Um, yeah, I just, I suddenly realized that for everything I had done and put up with the physical abuse and everything else, that that was an indication that this was my last chance, right? We get signposts, we get, we get things that hit us up in the side of the face that tell us that you know, here's a, here's an indication that you should change your route in life. And I had many of those, many of those. I got almost got carjacked one time. I mean, I could tell you so many different stories. I gave you the very, very uh, condensed version about that. Uh, but it really forced me to, I looked around one night, it was a couple of nights later. And I looked, I was at the top of the staircase and I, I still see it. I still see all the lights and I still, you know, cop cars, hookers, drug dealers, uh, husband and wife yelling at each other. It was just, it was, it was, it should have been a TV show, but they didn't have reality TV back then. Uh, it was crazy. And I just really decided that I have to get myself out of the situation. Nobody else is going to. My mom even won the lottery while we were homeless. She won $5,000. We got clothes and I, we ate and I think we splurged for a while and then we were broke again. So uh, interestingly enough, the universe, when the universe hits you with a signpost, usually the universe, universe will hit you with an opportunity to address that signpost. And a couple of days after I made that decision, like, okay, how do I get out of here? What do I do? Where do I go? I, I mean, can I go to my grandfather's? What? Um, I went to my job, one of my jobs, and it was funny enough, I was telemarketing out of somebody's apartment in their bedroom, which sounds creepy, but it wasn't. Uh, I was setting uh, roofing appointments. Uh, the guy had an apartment in Huntington Beach. He had a two bedroom apartment. One of his offices, one of his bedrooms was an office. And me and my buddy who lived in the motel, who I became friends with, went there to work every day and we set roofing contract. We set roofing appointments. And so we went to work one day and this guy named Norman, he was a really cool dude. He goes, well, boys, he goes, I got some good news and I got some bad news. And I told him, I looked at him, I said, well, Norman, I've had enough bad news to last a lifetime. So what's up? And he says, well, I know you guys are living in that sleazy motel. He goes, um, and uh, I want to leave you my apartment. And we were like, okay, what? He goes, well, I should have told you the bad news first. No, I said, what's the bad news? He goes, I'm closing up shop. I'm going to move to Texas. But because I know where you guys live and I know how hard you guys are working, I want to leave the first and the last and the deposit, everything on this apartment so you guys can move in here when I leave. And this was Huntington Beach, California. I lived in Anaheim, California, which was, you know, where Disneyland is, but the part of Anaheim I lived at was just totally nasty. Uh, so me and Robert looked at each other. We're like, oh my God. And I remember I didn't even think about my mom at that point. I just thought, oh my God, we could live here. We could, there's a, there's a, there's a nice gym here and there's creeks running through it and there's gated community and there's nice people and everybody has jobs and oh my God, you know, we could do this. And then I, then it sunk in. I'm like, mom, mom. And so we went about our day and everything. And I thought about it. And I can't remember exactly the timeline. I think it was a couple of days later where Robert was like, you know, if you don't do it, I could do this with Bob and blah, blah, blah. And they were going to, either way he was going to do it. And so I was at a, I was at a point where I could either hope, wish, and pray that I don't wind up dead or in jail. Um, or I can take this opportunity. And so I told my mom, I said, listen, I mean, you gotta, you gotta imagine all the different things that I went through. And I went to my mom and I thought, for the first time in my life, I'm going to tell her something. And she's going to say, you know what, Chris, I've screwed up your life enough. I have beat you. I have ridiculed you. I have demeaned you. I have pushed you. I have used you. Yes. You're 17 years old. Go be a man. Go live your life. No. Call me every name in the book, made up some names, tried to have me arrested for stealing my, for taking my own car. I uh, wasn't stealing my own car. Uh, yeah, it was ugly. And, but the thing of it is Nicole, as mad, as mad as she was, I still went back there every single night. I helped her take care of her cats. I gave her as much money as I possibly could to help her out. 
she suddenly got stronger. And of course I got around different people and started changing my trajectory and the path, the, the journey between us still continued up until the point where uh, she expired. Wow. Hi, super busy mommies. Nicole Cruz here, super busy mommy coach. If you're a single mom or a mom facing hardship, it can be impossible to find uninterrupted time for a workout, let alone to prepare healthy meals, meditate and get quality sleep. And all the motivational memes in the world telling you to push harder and make time won't change that fact. And that's where I come in. How do you reach high levels of fitness when you don't have any uninterrupted time for workouts? How do you prepare healthy meals when you're more likely to end up wearing food by the end of the day than actually eating it? And how do you practice mindfulness when you get climbed on every time you try to sit still? These are some of the questions I answer for the absolutely badass moms I work with who are stopped by nothing. Pick my brain and find out more at superbusymommycoach.com. That's powerful, you know, because the people around us have such a big influence. You know, um, when you start a different path, I find that you know, I find that most people either get held back because of the expectations of their family. They feel like they need to serve their family, meet those expectations, or they almost like swing the pendulum in the other direction. Like, well, that's not my problem. I have to do me. And I really respect that you stood true to yourself while also valuing the relationships that you've had your entire life. Um, and I'm sure there are going to be some people listening who, who disagree with that, <laughs> um, you know, but I, I just really respect that. I think it's really amazing. Um, you're welcome. And yeah, so that's how you got to this point of like realizing some of the things you did. How did you actually get into coaching and teaching other people? Mm, that's a great question, Nicole. Um, ultimately, what I did was through the journey of, 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 of healing myself and learning to grow and learning to put myself in uncomfortable situations. My first inclination, we could talk about that part of the journey. My first inclination was, how do I make sense of all this? How can I, because I was angry, I was resentful, uh, I was still carrying a lot of baggage. I was doing the things that I needed to be doing, but inside my mind, I was not happy and I wasn't fulfilled because I was thinking like, what if this, what if this? I was constantly pontificating about the past and thinking about, you know, what if, shoulda, coulda, woulda, all these different things. Um, and then ultimately I realized, and I remember then I was on the back seat of the station wagon. Um, it was a 1969 Country Squire station wagon. I'll never forget it, wood paneling on the side. Um, and I remember laying on the back of the seat, there was a vinyl seat and I had my head on a, on, I think on a jacket on top of the, the armrest. And I thought the only thing I ever want is my own home, my own home that nobody can take away from me. And I want to help other people get out of this situation that I'm in. And I, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was God's source universe that was speaking to me, but through that journey, once I started seeing and reaping the rewards of doing the hard work and getting back into school and getting around the right people and dedicating myself to learning and growing and becoming a different person, um, I suddenly became excited about, hey, if I can do it, I can go teach other people how to do it. And so uh, my natural instinct was just to help everybody. It was like, hey, listen, you know, and I never told anybody my situation. I was just like, hey, you know, people come to me and, and say, well, I've got this situation. I'm like, well, have you thought about looking at it this way and looking at it that way? Because through those four years and through my whole life with my mom, one of the key things that I learned was to be resourceful. 
She was, she, she didn't give it, she didn't care about excuses. She's like, I want it done. What was she say? I want it when I want it. She goes, I want it when I want it, how I want it. When, when I, I don't know, she used to have this the whole thing. Like, <laughs> she just, she wants what she wants when she wants it, something like that. Um, and, uh, you know, it just, it occurred to me to be able to share that story with other people and uplift them and seeing the face, seeing their faces when they learned that they could be in control of their life and change their trajectory. I just became immediately addicted. And, you know, through that process, my first, my first avenue into coaching, if you will, was simply going back and mentoring at-risk kids, you know, kids that are in and out of juvenile hall, they're in foster care, they're out of foster care, all these, all these misfits of, of society, these poor kids that don't have any place to go. They go to gangs because that's the only place they feel included. My goal was like, okay, listen, I was on the streets. How can I take my journey and help these other people, you know, potentially, you know, circumvent some of the stuff that I had to go through. So it just immediately became about that. And people used to just say, Oh my God, dude, you should be a psychiatrist. So I started studying psychology and sociology was going to become a licensed family clinical social worker or something like that, because all I wanted to do was help people. And then somebody said, Oh, you should be a coach. And I'm like, what the heck's a coach? I don't play sports. <laughs> And so this whole life coach thing came out and it was a, was a result, I think of Scott Bayo. I don't know if he was Scott Bayo from happy days. Uh, he did a reality show called Scott Bayo has a life coach. And somebody mm -hmm. said, that's what you do, Chris. That's what you do. And I never charged anybody for it. I just did it. I just did it out of the goodness of my heart. I did this thing called pay it forward coaching where I would coach somebody and I would say, you go do three nice things for somebody for complete strangers and come back and tell me about it because I saw the movie pay it forward with Haley Joe Osment. And I was like, okay, listen, if I do something nice and you guys go do something nice, and then those people go do something nice, we can actually have a ripple effect in the world and make the world a better place for who it is than what we are and what we do. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I got into it. And then professionally just, you know, continued on the journey and just realized doing what I was doing in corporate was okay. And it was successful, but it wasn't my heart's desire to, as it is with coaching and speaking. That's amazing. That's beautiful. And I mean, you can tell, like you said, resourceful is the perfect word. You can tell that your struggles led you to become someone who's good at finding creative solutions to problems. And it doesn't matter the problem. You look for the solution. You believe there's a solution and you don't stop until you find the solution, um, which is an admirable quality. And I, I'm wondering, just in your opinion, how much of that do you think is like an innate talent? And how much of that do you think you absolutely would not have had if you didn't have these desperate circumstances that forced you into it? Great question. I definitely think it was the the situations. I think the situations, I mean, we, we call them negative situations. We call them, you know, uh, uh, anything but positive. But when I look back on my life, I sit there and I'm appreciative of every situation that I was placed in because it was an opportunity for me to pivot and grow. So when we sit, we sit there and think, I, I don't want to go through painful situations. Like if I ask my coaching clients or I ask a potential coaching client, uh, tell me about a time where you grew the most in your life and, and tell me about that experience. 99% of the people will tell me about a negative experience where they learned something. So when I ask people like, oh, you know, they're, we're, we're trying to solve for what's missing in their life, right? They're amazing in four areas of their life, but there's one area of their life that they're, 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 not, they're not succeeding in, they're not fulfilled in. So what I do is I take those excuses or I take their micro excuses and we figure out a way to work around that to be able to change our perspective about what it is that's ailing us and to be able to have a different perspective on what it is that we're going for. Mm -hmm. Was that yeah, the question? I, that. I, yeah. I, I just, I got wound up in my own answer for for a second. So <laughs> no, that's awesome. That's awesome. It's all good. You're like spewing gold over here. Um, oh. so let's talk a bit about, you know, like the obstacles that people face, you know, like what are the most common obstacles you see that, I mean, cause everyone in their own head thinks they're doing everything they can. And I find myself in this situation. I'm like, I know 
logically, there's a different way to approach this. I know logically that there are people who could be in this situation and figure out exactly how to get where I want to go, but it's escaping me. I don't see it. I don't know. I don't, I don't like Google's not helping. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, Google life coaching that, that, that'll be their next app. I'm sure. But, um, oh, geez. no, 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 <laughs> no more coaches, no more coaches, no more coaches. We'll get into the coaching industry a little bit later for sure. Um, right. But, you know, like, like, what are these obstacles that get people who have the best intentions, who really are trying their best? They're not like, eh, you know, I'd rather drink wine. Like, you know, that's another category, right? We can deal with that. But the people who are actually stuck, what do you see as those obstacles? And what are some of the creative ways you've found to help people learn how to get around that stuck feeling? Mm. That's true. That's a great question. Uh, obstacles. Most of the obstacles that people face are their own thoughts, their own beliefs, their own language that they use. You, you know that. Um, so when I think about obstacles, a lot of the obstacles of the people that I've talked to recently over the last year with COVID, you know, at the time of this airing, uh, we've been going through COVID for the last 12, 18 months. So I've given a lot of complimentary co coaching calls. And through that, through that process of giving these coaching calls out, I started realizing a pattern. And so I took it upon myself one day to ask this particular individual, uh, it just struck me. And I just said, okay, I want, I'm going to ask you a question and I want you to answer it. Yes or no. I don't want you to think about it. And she was like, okay. And I was like, should I do this? Should I not do it? I'm like, I'm just going to do it. And I'm like, do you love yourself? Yes or no? Yeah. Yeah. I think I do. Okay. You think you do talk to me more about that. Why, why would you not think that you totally love yourself? get in the conversation. So I started asking more and more people about this. And I'm like, okay, you know, some people say, you know, I don't love myself. I'm like, okay, so you're going out here and doing all these things. You're doing these things. You're, you're taking action on these things, but you're not getting any results. You're not getting any, any different fulfillment out of this, right? Yes. Okay. So what is it that we have to change on the inside to be able to adapt, to appreciate what is coming, what it was, what is being received, right? If you don't love yourself and you don't accept and appreciate and believe that you deserve abundance in your life and you're going out there and you're doing all these actions, but nothing is coming in. It's because you're, you're, you're literally, you know, you're climbing the ladder, but you're, you're, you're climbing the ladder against the wrong building. Right. So the first part the first part of it is, and one of the things that I love the most about the way I coach is I don't treat the symptoms. I go straight for the root cause. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem. We've talked about this before in the coaching industry is they go for the symptoms. Oh, let me take care of that symptom. Let me take care of that symptom. Da, 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 da. Let's get to the root flipping cause, right? What is it that's standing in your way? What belief system do you have about your past that we need to, we need to change the perspective on so that you can see that it happened for you and not to you. And combined with that, Nicole is to be able to paint a picture of where people are going. So many people, so many people, I'm not even kidding. How, do a better job of planning a tailgate party, planning a wedding, planning a vacation. They don't plan their life. Mm. They hope, wish, and pray that quote unquote, someday things will change and they'll be able to do X, Y, and Z. Oh, when the kids are gone. Oh, maybe when the kids are gone, then I'll divorce my husband. Then I'll be able to do life. I have, I'll have the life I want. They play that someday game. But ultimately, it starts within ourselves. It's ultimately, it starts with, do I love myself? Yes or no. If I don't, then perhaps I need therapy. Perhaps I need a coach. Perhaps I need to discover why the reasons that I don't love myself and, and see if I can change that perspective. And the thing that's missing for most people, Nicole, is that ability to have love and empathy and forgiveness for the things that have happened from their past, you know, the wrong things that have happened from their past. Um, 
I would not be where I'm at today if I did not learn empathy and forgiveness. Because back in the day, my mom was a very abrupt person. You think I'm 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 candid and unfiltered and and raw and unscripted? <laughs> my mom set the table for that conversation, man. If she didn't like you, you knew it. She didn't give it. She didn't care who you were. And so I grew up with that. I grew up with a very sarcastic, very open, don't give a F kind of attitude. So through that process of learning forgiveness and empathy, I was able to release a lot of the anger and the resentment and the fear that I had experienced all my life up until 17 years old. At that point, I'm like, I've tried to kill myself. I've had a gun put to my head. Um, Lord knows I've done drugs and alcohol where I might've OD'd or passed out. I'm still here. So now the choice is mine. Do I continue believing all the inputs that have been placed into my brain over the last 17 years? Or do I decide to pick up, um, what, what is it called? It's called a book. You, I have one over here. You pick up a book and you start reading the words and then you string the words together and you string the thoughts together and you string the ideas together and you take the actions and you implement what it is that other successful people have done. You talk to yourself like successful people talk to yourself, talk to themselves. You get up and you do the things that successful people do. You will be successful. Success leaves clues. So um, the obstacle is all within here and uh, and here's the thing here's here's to put a bow on it back to um when i was when i was coming out of being homeless and trying to figure out my way i got around a great guy named bill white he became my mentor and he looked at me straight in the face one day and he said christopher roush he goes you're only limited by the parameters of your own mind you're only limited by the parameters of your own mind so henry ford has a great quote out that i love because it's simple if you think you can if you think you can't you're right so it all changes with that dialogue within our bodies, within our minds and our souls. And it changes with the people we interact with, right? Misery loves company. So if the five people we hang around the most are, eh, life sucks, the politics, this never gonna be fair. When are they gonna send me another check? Guess what? Chances are you're gonna be like them. But if you're hanging around people like, hey, what can we do to make the world a better place? Hey, you know, you go follow your dreams, man. It doesn't matter if you're making millions of dollars, as long as you go to sleep at night on, and you feel fulfilled in life, that's what living is about not existing, not hoping for praying about materialistic shit so you can you can feed your ego. You know, this is about making an impact. This is about having a legacy that at the end of the day and the end of the journey that we're on, we can look back on our life and be so stoked about all the things and all the chances and things that we experienced rather than having regrets. And I learned that from reading the book, The Five Regrets of the Dying. Um, you guys can go out there. there there's, a, there's, a, there's a website, The Five Regrets of the Dying. The number one regret, Nicole, I don't know. Do you know this? No. Regret, number one regret, regret of the dying. It's a great book. It's actually up on my, on my shelf right there. Um, the number one regret of the dying is that they did not live the life that they wanted to live. They lived the life that they thought they were supposed to live. I'm gonna say that again. <laughs> they didn't live the life they wanted to live. They lived the life they were supposed to live. They, and based on the input of their parents, the society, oh, you should be an engineer. You should be a doctor. You should be this. No, I want to be a, I want to be in film school. No, I want to go join the, the foreign Navy. Yeah, I want to go, I want to go be a ballet dancer. I want to be an actress. I want to be a comedian. I want to be a programmer, whatever. No, no, no. You should be this, you know, I'm gay. No, no, no. You should be straight. That isn't allowed in our religion. That's the biggest regret that people have. And I've talked to people that without even reading the book, I talked to people when my mom was in, in and out of convalescent hospitals, I would talk to older people and be candid, right? I'm a candid person. So if you had your life to do over again, what would you do differently? Unanimously in, in, in a different way, they would say it is they would live their life on their terms. All of these people, all they're, they're sitting there playing. I remember one lady, I, I broke my heart. She was playing a giant, uh, no, no. Um, she was putting together a giant puzzle. It wasn't even a small puzzle. She was an older lady, I don't know, in her eighties or something like that. And I just, and I talked with her and I'm just like, wow, you were such a, you were an exuberant person in life and you had your youth and you, you know, and to listen to her talk, it sounded like, you know, like her life was like, I don't know. It was just sad. 
that's all I that's all I could say. It was just sad. It was like, wow, and seeing in her eyes, oh, and I and I had this dream of doing this, and I and I had, and just seeing that and knowing that's all you get to do for the rest of your life is think about the things that you could have done. For me, no, it's it's about execution and living our life right now. I love it a hundred percent, you know, and, you know, it's also interesting because, you know, I feel like there's, you can be left out on either side, right? Because there's the people who are like, oh, I should have done this. I should have done that. I should have done that. And it also, it almost makes me wonder, well, first, like, like you said, why didn't you, but also if they had done those things, would they have actually been fulfilled or is it a matter of the grass being greener on the other side? So Mm -hmm. it's like, either way, I feel like, like what you said about not having regrets about your past, I, I, that resonates with me completely. Like I just like, my life is mine. That's my story. It's not all rosy, but it's mine. And it's like, you know, like your family, like your, your home, they're not always, you know, some picture perfect thing, but they're yours and you have a deep connection to them. And there's literally only one thing that I would change. Um, and that's the death of my brother because I want my brother to be okay. You know, um, anything else? It's like, no, like I, I feel like I've made the most of it, you know? Um, and I just, I love that idea. Um, and yeah, we, I want to wrap up the first episode on that note because I think it's a beautiful place to leave off, but we're going to be back for another episode where we're going to dive deeper into these obstacles. And we'll also talk a bit about the coaching industry because um, we have some, you know, ideas about that, that um, may not be super popular among coaches, but (laughs) they'll help the people listening who are thinking of hiring a coach. So anyway, let everyone know where they can get in touch with you, how they can start working with you, how they can get some of your no, no, uh, no self-help fluffy BS self, no self-created crap. Let's get rid of all of that. How do they start? <laughs> um, thank you, Nicole. I appreciate you. Uh, the simple place to go is www.christopherrausch.com. Uh, R-A-U-S-C-H for those of you guys listening, uh, ChristopherRoush.com. You can go there and check out all sorts of stuff. There's a place to book a complimentary coaching session just for being on the show and being friends with Nicole. Uh, I will do that for you. So uh, go hit up the calendar and we'd love to talk with you. Thank you for that. And thank you so much for being on the show. And I look forward to the next episode where we dig deeper into this. And awesome. Thank you everyone for listening to Badass Moms brought to you by the Holistic Therapies Directory. If you are a holistic practitioner or you're looking for a holistic practitioner, make sure you go to holistictherapiesdirectory.com to share your gifts with the world or find the perfect practitioner for you in your area. And don't forget to pick my brain at superbusymommycoach.com. And if you're interested, message me at superbusymommycoach on Facebook or Instagram to secure one of those last coaching spots. Thank you, everybody, and we will see you next time. You've been listening to Badass Moms. Join us again and get your badass on.